Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. Uh, Sarah's here, of course, and thank goodness Pat is back. You missed me again? <laughs> I, I don't do that just to collect the love, but if if making your life a little chaotic for a week gets it done, I mean, I'll I'll take it that way. Um, you know, you know, we all have our favorite winter activities. We're going to talk more about them at the at the end of the show. Some people like to spend their winter, you know, downhill skiing, cross country skiing, snowshoeing, ice fishing. One of my favorite winter activities involves. Uh, avoiding all winter activity and escaping winter for a week or so. And this time around, it was my first ever trip to Cancun. Um, I did not need bail money from Kirk to get out of a Mexican jail cell. It turns out um, we found uh, a nice, there's actually quiet places in Cancun. Uh, you know, we're, we're um, senior citizens in waiting like me can just sit on a beach chair and watch the waves and live out the, uh, the Garth Brooks song to Pina Coladas and, Frankly, as, as more of our Wisconsin <laughs> friends near retirement age, um, we have people we know settling down in Panama City, Florida, Marco Island, uh, South Texas. So we'll probably just have some more of these winter escapes to have by and large. Uh, I, I know, Kirk, you have a favorite place, Sarah. Do you have any favorite places or, or traditions to get away from winter for a little bit? Well, so... For eight years, I had a baby, a boy, every two years. So now that my youngest is turning four, we can start participating in winter sports because I wasn't brave enough to do that with small children. So I have taken up snowboarding. Um, I haven't broken my leg yet or my tailbone, which is fun, but troll hogging is the place to be. And, and Kirk is is also uh, engaged in death-defying activities, not on a snowboard, but on a surfing board. Well, I'm not going to talk about that. Well, I, I kind of will, Pat. Like, first of all, like it's surfing, like it's surfing with a C minus situation. They're they're kind of like baby waves. So that's but fine. To, it's still to me, it's to me, it's fat camp. Like I've been drinking and eating too much in December, and I can lose a lot of weight if I if I surf uh, if I surf for a couple hours every day and try not to drink a whole lot. Even though I do own a brewery, even I have to go on the wagon in January and uh, try to lose some weight. Yeah, but you're still just by getting on a surfboard, you're still engaged in something that could break your neck. You know, as is Sarah, whereas, you know, that only happens to me if I stumble off the bar stool, you know, at, at whatever, but, you know, Pat, beach resort that we're at. Pat, I, I actually, when you started this segment, I was like, let's not talk about surfing or skiing. Let's talk about how many times we've almost been put in a Mexican jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, as, as you know, and we don't have a lot of time to get into it here, but someday I will tell the story of how we came to live in the Cayman Islands for three years in the, in the, in the Caribbean. And people keep asking, you know, are you going to go back? You lived there for three years. We've been back now for five years, believe it or not. And they say, you know, are you going to go back? And, and I can say with all confidence that although we lived a pretty clean life down there, I don't trust the government down there enough to go back to not believe there's a chance there's a warrant that's out there you know, with my name on it because somebody doesn't like the way you covered them at the TV station down there or something oh. like that. So won't, 
probably won't be back on Grand Cayman anytime soon, but we'll 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 find other ways to stay out of Caribbean and, and Mexican prisons. I reported on that <laughs> on the prison down there in in the swampy center of Grand Cayman. And trust me, that is not a place where you want to spend a, a, a lot of time. Although it was hilarious that the inmates' girlfriends would find ways to get drones to drop cartons of cigarettes into there. But that's a story for another time. So we'll, we'll bring the focus back here to, to winter in Wisconsin, a beautiful place, a lot of great resources. Um, but right now, our, our natural resources are, are being threatened in a couple of different ways, including a hijacking on the Natural Resources Board. We'll talk to a former DNR secretary about it next. You're up north. Welcome back to the Up North Podcast, everyone. We uh, talked a bit about winter in Wisconsin in our last segment and uh, some of the things that make it special. And there are things that make this state pretty awesome all throughout the year. Uh, But we learned long ago that uh, from the Teddy Roosevelt's, from the Aldo Leopold's of the world, uh, people like former governors Gaylord Nelson and Warren Knowles, that if you are not proactive in protecting your natural resources, there are always going to be folks who are willing to tear it up, chop it down, fill it in, dump on it, build on it, and then frankly, pass the cost on to future generations. We are expecting our state natural resources board to stay above politics and be that protector. But there have been, um, Kirk, shall we say some troubling developments on that front? Yeah. So, This is why this story has to do with up north Wisconsin. There's a guy named Fred Prain, or Pren, if I'm announcing it wrong, uh, from Wausau, who happens to be not only a dentist, an owner of a gun shop, but also, until very recently, a a cranberry farmer. Um, Not necessarily any of those, any degrees in environmental science or uh, ecology. But our super PAC also looked at uh, this gentleman, and it looks like he donates a lot of money to Republican politicians in Wisconsin. So not that being a donor to politicians automatically gets you appointed to state boards, but it often helps. So Prane was appointed to the State Natural Resources Board in 2015 by Republican Governor Scott Walker. Prane is currently serving as the chair of the board, his third consecutive time being elected to that role. Prane's appointment ended last May, but he decided he wasn't going to leave the board. It's like it's like you lost the game in the foot lost the football game and you decided because you didn't like the results you're going to stay on the field until you get your way. So he cited a 1964 Supreme Court decision that says board members can stay on after their term expires until a replacement is confirmed by the state Senate. So listen to this. So far, the state Senate, which is led by a Republican majority, have basically said they're not going to confirm any of Evers appointees to any state boards. So <laughs> we've, we've got a bit of a problem. And, and it's even more of a problem because the national re- or the, the, the resource board, the natural resources board sets the policy for the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, the DNR, which so many hunters and fishers uh, know about. And it's so important to this state. So we got a quandary. We got Senate Republicans are refusing to confirm any of Evers appointees. And there's a law on the books that allows Walker appointees to stay on until new appointees are confirmed. 
This is, or it seems like it's a no-win situation. So Sarah, introduce our new guest and help have him help us unpack what's going on here. Absolutely. Thanks for summing that up, Kirk. Well, here to help us unpack what's going on is George Meyer, retired secretary of the DNR. George had a 30-year career with the DNR and worked on many of the most challenging and often controversial policy issues affecting the state, which include hunting regulations, chronic wasting disease, air and water quality, wetland and shoreline protection, among so many others. After retiring from the DNR in 2002, Meyer served as the first executive director of the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation and was appointed a visiting professor at Lawrence University in Appleton, teaching courses in environmental policy and law. We're sure we missed a lot of your accolades, Professor Meyer, but thank you so much for being a guest on tonight's show. Welcome. It's great to see you all. Good well, we, topic. We, we appreciate your expertise, uh, George. And I have to say now, as a former state senator myself, I cannot express deeply enough how outright corrupt it seems to me to deny a governor elected by the people his choice of cabinet secretaries and board appointees. It's nothing short of hijacking democracy, in my opinion. It shows an urgent need to reform a confirmation process now that Republicans have forever destroyed the honor system that served our state for well over a century. So, uh, George, I'm interested in your opinion on, on all this. What are the implications to the DNR and, and to the state by a Scott Walker appointee refusing to leave the board after his terms expired? You know, I may preface my comments by saying I would say this whether it was a Democrat, unit or Republican. The way the system is set up that when a governor comes in, over the period of four years, you'll have sufficient numbers of the Natural Resources Board to carry out the policies that that person ran for governor on. So from a, just a uh, government structure standpoint, it's the will of the people that's being thwarted. Now, and what's really troubling, and uh, Kirk mentioned it, uh, there's really a collusion going on between the state Senate and uh, uh, Doc Preen sitting as chairman. But there's more to it. It's this, and these things have become public. Uh, follow the money is usually the situation. And what we've heard or seen and reported and uh, open records is that allegedly Doc Preen has not talked to the senator's office. But others have. There's intermediaries. He's been approached and was working with uh, representatives of Wisconsin Manures and Manufacturers of Commerce on this. Doc was directly, and also Hunters Nation, which is a far right uh, group. Uh, it's really uh, involved in politics more uh, than the policy issues of hunting and fishing. And they were talking to the senator staff. And the reason those two groups were involved is WMC is very active in the issue of whether what regulation should be put in place for PFAS, which is this new chemical, not new chemical, but one that's been found in our waters that causes extensive uh, environmental problems and health problems. And they oppose any regulation of it and so far have stymied any significant regulation in the state. Hunter's Nation, their big issue is wolves. And they have, uh, Dr. Green agrees with them on that. And so as uh, the Senate offices, 
And that's why they're behind us. So there really is collusion uh, for electoral practices. And uh, following that, too, I just want to mention Hunter's Nation is really uh, is going, it has plans to make major contributions in the governor's race next year. And surprisingly, it's going to be against Governor Zevers. Not surprisingly, it's going to be against Governor Zevers. So you can see how the, uh, the entanglement that's going on for strictly political purposes and undermining sound natural resource management. So, uh, Professor uh, Myers, um, we have done a couple shows now on uh, the PFAS chemicals all over Wisconsin. And we talked to uh, we talked to uh, the past mayor of Marinette, where this this problem originated. Uh, we talked to the city administrator in Rhinelander, where if they lose one more well to uh, to contamination, uh, they don't they won't have enough water for their city. Uh, we just saw in the uh, in the paper today that Wausau. Uh, and, all, and by the way, all these places are, are are where we broadcast to. I mean, we're called the Up North Podcast, where we're supposed to have the cleanest water. We're supposed to have the most pristine lands. That's something you've been protecting for 30 years of your life. Um, we more than that, probably. Um, so so PFOS is all over. Uh, it's 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 it causes all types of cancers. It causes terrible things uh, with with unborn babies uh, all over the place and and the republican legislature in the over the last couple sessions have done everything they possibly could to not put uh to not have corporations who are putting these chemicals in our waters have to pay for the cleanup and the wisconsin manufacturers and commerce historically has has stomped on a bipartisan legislation introduced by both Democrats and Republicans in Mar the Marinette area because it was giving cancer to all these constituents and voters that they, they stomped all over that and they and they squelched it. So when you say that the Wisconsin man uh, manufacturers and commerce are talking to Fred Prane about not leaving the, the board uh, through an intermediary or something, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, I mean, I don't have a question for you, but that's just that's just what I mean. It, it, I didn't even think about that, but that's uh, that you know this whole what we've been talking about for 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 a year now is is kind of like now becoming circular to me. Sarah, do you want to ask about wolves or Pat? Yes, it, it seems like um, wolf hunting has become sort of a blood sport in Wisconsin. Um, if I read correctly, we're the only state in the nation that allows dogs um to hunt wolves which from what i understand is quite cruel um but what's your take on how we find a balance between managing the predator population but doing it in a way that's responsible and enhances our ecosystem that's what my dogs think of this <laughs> i want to make it clear i i'm not against hound hunting at all i headed an organization that had many hound hunters and it's when it's done properly uh, it is not uh uh, you know, what people think of canines attacking each other. Well, what I, I do agree is uh, there's really a divide in the state. Some people do not want any wolves harvested. And there are people, and I don't think most of them are sportsmen, but that would get rid of every one of them. But what you have to have is sound management. <clears throat> you need to have a harvest and whatever effective methods, whether it's trapping, how hunting is very effective to keep 
help get the populations down because there are really is impact on on uh, people that have pets, uh, people uh, livestock and dairy, you know, uh, farmers, uh, and how hunting is legal in the state has been for years, and their animals are impacted. There has to be middle ground, and that's what DNR's challenge is going to be: is to find that sweet spot. But there has to be a harvest, and uh, because we have serious problems taking place without it, all at some point, keep predators in today's time need some regulation and management. You know, 300 years ago, it, they didn't. But now we have a, you know, a built-up state. You have to be able to regulate predators. Well, and it really is, it comes back to that whole notion of, of management. Like you said, good management, good care of something. Unfortunately, we live in a, in a time right now uh, that has been so politicized that if you were to, you know, uh, propose uh, responsible management of something, well, you're anti-hunter. Or if you propose responsible right. management of police conduct, oh, well, you're anti-police. You know, it's just so easy for people to right away go to the extreme rather than acknowledge that the whole point of having a management plan uh, means that neither extreme is going to get everything they want because you want to work toward the greater good. It's what we look for, you know, in public servants, uh, whether they're secretaries like yourself or board appointees. And so I wanted to, to ask you to, to elaborate a bit more on this whole notion of the, you know, the confirmation uh, process, you know, folks would wonder, well, uh, you know, if, if, if Fred Prent is still on the natural resources board, can't you do something in court and state attorney general, Josh call tried, uh, but the, the state Supreme Court basically deferred uh, in, in many ways, saying the, the, the legislature, you know, writes its own, right. writes its own rules. And I wonder if, if this was something you had maybe expected, you know, in years past that this was potentially something that could come up someday. And, and if so, what you think the, the right path forward would be for the state? Well, in fact, it has happened twice before. Uh, there were two board members, Jim Tiffenthaler and Steve Willett, <coughs> who were uh, Thompson appointees, stayed on longer, not with the controversy uh, that doctrine has, but ultimately they left voluntarily. Uh, and, and the positions were filled uh, by the Senate. The problem, really the problem, one of the problem, I would say big problem is there should be a requirement. <clears throat> sure, the Senate should have the right to oversee the appointments and vote on them, but there should be a deadline, say 90 days on these appointments. And if they don't like the new person, vote them down. That's their, their ability to do it. But this way, there's no accountability. No, there isn't. And, and frankly, it, it gets to a point where, uh, again, we, we have this confirmation process for a sense of checks and balances, but there, there has to be uh, an honor system involved because even if you put a, a date on there, if you were to say the Senate has to object within 90 days or you know the person automatically becomes secretary or board appointee or, or whatnot, um, there's nothing that would stop a renegade party someday from simply voting no on every governor's, you know, new, new appointees just out of spite. It's not the way you and I, you know, were, were brought up to respect uh, the process, but 
Um, it, it does make you wonder about whether the system of checks and balances, if that sense of trust can be brought back in, George. Well, if they pull it, it's like any other vote. They then are accountable on the record and the next election, that's a record. This way it's silence. People in, you know, and whatever you named the senator will never know that their uh, senator just abstained from voting and let this happen. Yeah. Uh, but at least when they're on record that they voted down, in this case, Senator Noss or whoever would have been nominated, mm-hmm. then they have to stand up for somebody to say an appointment come in and said, look at this highly qualified individual. There you go. That right. they didn't support. And put them on the record. Yeah, exactly. Right. George Meyer, thank you so much for visiting with us and filling us in. We appreciate it so much. Good to see and talk to you all. All right. When we come back, a new legislative proposal that would make it easier to sell off Wisconsin's pristine natural areas. We'll explain next. You're up north. Won't you let me die? And welcome back to The Cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow, along with Kirk Bankstead and Sarah Yacoub. For more than 30 years, the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program has helped conserve approximately 650,000 natural acres in the state. The program pays landowners to preserve significant natural areas with an eye on protecting water quality and expanding opportunities for outdoor recreation. Unfortunately, two Republican legislators, Assembly Rep Calvin Callahan and State Senator Mary Felskowski, also of Tomahawk, think it should be easier for owners to remove property from the stewardship program and sell it. And uh, so our guest, Charles Carlin, is going to be uh, uh, joining us in a second, Sarah, to tell us more about that. And first, let's talk about our esteemed guest. Charles Carlin is Strategic Initiatives Director for Gathering Waters, an alliance that includes more than 40 land trusts around the state. His organization has been a strong voice against this legislation. Charles, can you tell us more about your organization and lay the groundwork for us on why the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program is so valuable to Wisconsin? And what's at stake if the bill from these GOP legislators were to become law? Sure. Thanks so much for having me and the opportunity to chat with y'all. So like you mentioned, I work for Gathering Waters. We're Wisconsin's Alliance for Land Trusts. And a land trust is a, a little bit of a wonky term. And what that means, it's a nonprofit organization that works to conserve land. Um, and we represent more than 40 nonprofit land trusts around the state of Wisconsin. These are really pragmatic, nonpartisan groups that work to protect all the places that make Wisconsin special. So our members are protecting more than 800 sites uh, around the state of Wisconsin, really in all the major regions of the state. And the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program is a lot of what makes their work possible and also really drives land conservation and outdoor recreation infrastructure all around the state. So like you mentioned, the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program, it's been around for about 30 years. It provides funds not only for land acquisition, so buying land, putting it into conservation, uh, but also what we call development of outdoor amenities. So if there's a, a bike path, a boat launch, a campground that you like to get out and enjoy, 
chances are Knowles Nelson is what made it happen. So in that 30 years, there's been something like 8,000 Knowles Nelson projects around the state. Um, and it really touches sort of every aspect of our outdoor lives. And, and we, let's talk about the importance of that and, and the balance that we're trying to strike here. And we, we talked about that notion of balance and proper management in our last segment with former DNR Secretary George Meyer as well. That the point of doing something like this is not that, you know, all 650,000 acres are going to be surrounded with barbed wire and can never be touched again. There's, there, there's land that is, you know, conserved and left rather pristine. There is land that is where you're going to find, you know, you know bike paths, picnics, uh, picnic areas, whatever the case may be for recreational purposes. And yet there's still plenty of land out there where you can build a house or build a business or, you know, develop basically. And so you can say that there's always a tug of war between, you know, people that want to, you know, knock everything down and develop it. And those who want it to be perfectly pristine for all time. Uh, but Charles, you, you understand, and maybe can tell our audience more about how there's room for everybody. There's room for all different types of uses without having to weaken one of our, our most vital conservation programs. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I think it's important to put Wisconsin's public lands in context. You know, so Wisconsin has about 17 or 18% of our land in some kind of conservation. Uh, that's actually significantly less than our neighbors, Michigan and Minnesota. They're protecting upwards of about a quarter of their land. And of course, this pales in comparison to Western states. Utah, Idaho, Montana, where they're going to have more than two-thirds of their land as, as public land. And of course, a lot of our conserved and public land is what supports our forest products industry. And so we, we know that the forest products industry is a huge part of Wisconsin's heritage. It remains a big part of our economy today. Um, and that's also land that provides access for hunting, fishing, for hiking, for getting out and for camping. So when we're talking about conservation land, we're really talking about land that suits you know, multiple purposes, multiple uses. So uh, Charles, I got a question. So the we haven't, before I ask you the next question, I wanna move to get us back to the threat that this bill uh, poses. Uh, you, you've talked on a lot of different, uh, I think the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel or, or, or W, you know, the public radio up in up in my neck of the woods uh, up north in Rhinelander. Um, what does this bill, I mean, what is weakening or allowing people, allowing private landowners to get permission to sell off public land that's been, yeah, that they've gotten grants to kind of co-purchase uh, from the state uh, and, and manage together? What is this bill? What's the threat? What is the underlying threat if this bill becomes law? Yeah, so generally when uh, either a nonprofit conservation organization or a local government receives a grant from the stewardship program to put land into conservation, that means that the state puts up half of the purchase price and then charitable donors or local budget is going to fill in the other half of the purchase price. And whoever is buying that property, that nonprofit or that local government, they enter into a contract with the DNR that says, we're gonna keep this land in conservation. We're gonna manage it responsibly. We're not gonna subdivide it. We're basically, we're gonna keep this in good shape for the public interest. Now, 
If something comes up and they want to transfer that land to somebody else, they want to sell that land, the law allows for that with the stipulation that whoever the new buyer is also signs a new contract with the DNR that says, we're going to keep managing this land responsibly. So what this legislation changes is it removes that safeguard. And so if your city or town wants to unload some conservation land or sell some parkland, all they have to do is tell the DNR, hey, we're going to sell this off. They repay the grant money, and then they can do whatever they want with it. They can sell it. They can subdivide it. They can build it up. Um, and it's their choice. And so I think what the, the threat here is, is there are really three main points. The first one is, is that when somebody sells their land to put it into conservation, they're doing that with the understanding and really putting the trust into a conservation organization or a local government that says, hey, we're going to be good stewards of your land forever. The second part is, is that those purchases are supported by major philanthropic campaigns. So if a community comes together to support a place that's special, chances are you've got hundreds or thousands of people all chipping in their own money to help make it happen. And they're doing that with the expectation that this land is gonna be conserved forever. So if you go back after the fact and say all these projects for the last 30 years, you can simply change your mind about it you're really undermining that promise that's been made, that trust that people put in the program and, and put into their gifts. And then I think the third real danger that just, I, I think maybe it just wasn't thought through very well before introducing the legislation is that it almost invites using conservation for real estate speculation. So you get a grant from the state of Wisconsin and that's funded by a low interest loan and then say your real estate market blows up and all of a sudden those lake lots are really valuable. You could turn around, pull that land out of conservation, chop up the property, sell off the lake lots at a profit. And it creates this weird perverse incentive to use a state conservation fund as a sort of real estate speculation vehicle. And we don't think that anybody really intends that but clearly that's a, a possibility that would be opened up here. And you know, we wanna make sure that we don't run that danger and that we're being good stewards of our lands. So I can't imagine I'm the only one wondering who would do this, why they would do it. Can you help us as our listeners, myself, understand why would legislators for some of the most beautiful, fragile and protected areas of Wisconsin wanna make it easier to sell off our public lands I mean, don't most of their constituents live there because they like to hunt and fish and enjoy that land like the rest of us? Yeah, like this is Callahan and Felskowski from Tomahawk, which is right south of Monaco where I'm at. It's the same land. It's beautiful. There's lakes everywhere. There's forests everywhere. You know, everybody that's everybody that's, that lives there is there. They're not there because they want to work, you know, at Epic down in Madison and make $200,000 a year, you know, developing software. They're there because they love hunting, fishing, and, you know, playing in the woods. Yeah. So my family has roots in, in Langlade County. I spend a ton of time up there and I, I do so because it's such a beautiful place because I can get out and I can enjoy the woods. You know, the story behind this bill it's, it's a little bit of a perfect storm coming together. And so what the bill's authors tell us um, is that Langley County back in 2017 or 2018 purchased a defunct Boy Scout camp 
uh, near Post Lake. So that's kind of right outside the little town of Elko in Senator Felskowski's district. And they purchased that Boy Scout camp with the intention to develop it into a county park. Langley County has another county park. They call it Veterans Memorial Park. It's awesome. It's got mountain bike trails, cross-country ski trails, a frisbee golf course, a campground, a swimming beach. And I think the vision was to do something similar. And then a few things happened. 2019, you have this major storm come through the Northwoods, blows down millions of trees, plows right through this Boy Scout camp. So you have a really expensive salvage operation. After that, the pulp market craters. We've all heard a lot about the couple of mills that have closed. That creates a financial crunch for a lot of these communities in Northern Wisconsin. You pair that with the fact that the state really over the last couple of decades has put significant limits on the ability of local governments to raise any kind of significant revenue. And the county found themselves really, I, I think in a sort of a money crunch. You then had one or two people on the county board who got it into their minds that this project was a bad idea and perhaps that they could backfill uh, part of a budget hole by selling off this Boy Scout camp. Now, we're hearing varying messages from folks in Langley County. Some folks tell us that the county has shifted course. They're really excited now to develop the camp. Others tell us that they uh, would still like the flexibility to sell off some parts of it. I think that this really underscores the fact that conservation lands need to be protected from short-term political whims and short-term fluctuations in economics. So just because you get one person on a county board that says, I want this to happen, we don't want that to undermine something that my kids and my grandkids could enjoy. So uh, Charles, uh, we've heard that um, this uh, lobbying group called the League of Wisconsin Municipalities, uh, which has a lot of influence, uh, just like Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce and their Tavern League, they have a lot of influence over the Republican majority legislature. They are the only group that's, if I'm wrong, let me know, but seemingly they're the only group that supported this bill. And there was a ton of organizations, mostly your, like yours and like the bike group of Wisconsin, like so many, the, probably the campers group of Wisconsin um, that said, this is a crazy bill. Um, it looks like the, the League of Municipalities, I mean, obviously they all want to expand their tax base. I mean, that's why municipalities in general, like, you know, everyone wants more taxes. The state government, the Republican led majority has said, we can't raise, we can't levy more property taxes up past like a certain percentage, like 1.5 or three or something like that. So, you, so local municipalities, because Republicans can't get more of a tax base to do the stuff they need to do. So now these same Republicans who are limiting the ability for municipals to raise taxes are listening to the League of Municipalities who are telling them we need more we need more taxes. So let's sell off more public land, lands. You know, more, more <laughs> that you would do that taxation on because you can't raise the rate. Is, is that a part of it, uh, Charles, that, that again, it's that trade-off of um, short-term gain of a tax base versus understanding that tourism and, and outdoor recreation is in of itself a, a tax base if it's if it's bringing visitors and, and money into your community. Yeah, I think that's a really important balance to weigh, you know, and without getting too far into the, the policy wonk weeds, you know, even if you pulled 
all the land out of conservation that you could with the stewardship program. The amount of revenue that you're going to create uh, is really minimal because the only way that a, a, a local government really increases that tax base is when houses get built on the land. So even bringing that land back into private ownership has really almost no meaningful impact on uh, the tax base or, or local revenues. You know, by contrast, our outdoor recreation economy uh, employs something like 168,000 people throughout the state. Uh, it's worth billions of dollars. You know, we, Kirk, you know better than the, any of the rest of us that the tourism economy is really what the Northwoods relies on. And so it's folks getting up there, being out on the trails, being in the campgrounds, being on the lakes that really drives a lot of the, the local economy. Um, and of course that takes a, a stable land base and a beautiful place that people actually wanna go to, to make it happen. Okay, so AB 852 is not scheduled for voting action at the moment probably because of the strong reaction against it. Does this mean that there are potentially folks hashing out a compromise with the bill's authors to make selling off public land to voters more palatable? Or do you think this bill is just dead? I don't think the bill is dead. Um, I do think that the message came across loud and clear that you can't undermine landowner trust. You can't undermine the trust of all the donors that support these projects. Uh, so from both parties, the message is, if this bill is gonna move forward, you have to amend it. Um, and I think that what that means is, is that we're likely to see this issue come back next session or perhaps in the next budget. Uh, and so it's a really important conversation to continue to have, you know, and to make sure that people are speaking up um, for Wisconsin's public lands. And we were, were really so impressed that we had something like more than 700 people wrote to this assembly committee and that's unheard of and really strong public And we're, we're so glad that you and, and others are staying on top of that. Charles Carlin from Gathering Waters, thank you so much for your expertise and your time. We sure appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Have a great night. You bet. We'll be back to wrap up the show in just a moment. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy. Before we go, we want to thank our hosts at News Talk 92.7, home of the Devil Radio app, where you can listen to the show on demand. On weekends, you can catch us on our website, upnorthpodcast.com, in all the usual places where you subscribe to podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube by searching for Up North Podcast. The video version of this uh, fine show is over on the Facebook page of the Monaco Brewing Company, and you can reach us by email by sending it to info at upnorthpodcast.com. And you can find the work that's uh, done by me and our team of reporters on a daily basis over at upnorthnewswi.com, uh, home of this one of the like six coffee mugs we ever had made for Up North News. Again, <laughs> upnorthnewswi.com. Don't forget the WI. Uh, search for Up North News WI on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I got to tell you guys, um, I think one theme that really uh, came between or uh, between both of those segments was the fact that some people have blown up the honor system, whether it's the honor system for confirming appointees or the honor system of honoring land trusts. Um, the, the, there's there's something there that uh, is is not right. It forces us all to want to escape to our happy places now and then. And we kind of started with that, Kirk, and we kind of want to wrap up with uh, kind of our, our happy places in Wisconsin as well. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about what, uh, what Char 
Charles was saying, George and Charles, both very common names. I was thinking about Charles was saying, and I re I, for everybody that's listening uh, in the Monaco area or up north, I mean, there's this amazing uh, paved bike trail on off of Highway M and N that's kind of right next to Boulder Junction that borders Trout Lake. And it's a huge campground and, and this bike trail lasts for miles. And I'm like, I can't believe that, that somebody put the money forward to just to pave like a bike trail in the middle of the woods so that I, with my like, you know, fancy road bike could actually go down it and see Trout Lake. And I'm like, holy cow, this is probably a Knowles Nelson, you know, thing that's a public land thing. And that's, they helped the state of Wisconsin because of Gaylord Nelson and this other Knowles guy who Warren Knowles, Pat knows Warren Knowles. And I don't know him, but like, I'm like, this is awesome. You know, and I never knew that 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 probably is the reason all these things happen that make the Northwoods so beautiful. So I'm so happy that we have it. Well, and that sort of makes me wonder, there's a great part of the Kinnikinnick River where if you're feeling a little daring, there's some rapids, um, but it's great to kayak or paddleboard down. And there's a little parking lot at the bottom where you can jump out and meet your car and then circle back up. But it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, actually, there's some fun stories about the fault lines uh, shifting. And so why you get some really incredible um rock formations that you just are able to sail by it's just absolutely incredible and, and i guess uh, to continue the trail theme uh i i live just a, a few hundred feet away from the old abe state trail which when we first moved here 26 years ago um uh, there wasn't a lot to it there were there were some segments here and there but they've since been connected they've been paved and from here on lake wasota uh you can get all the way up to brene island state park in cornell or you can go all the way down now to Eau Claire and to the trail system there that could take you all the way to Downsville and, and plenty of other places. And again, these, these things don't happen by themselves. Uh, it, it takes a commitment, not just of government, but also of individuals. And frankly, I don't want to sell some people short. There are people who do engage in, in development and industry and things who also understand the need for, you know, these happy places who have put up, you know, uh, uh, gifts for these kinds of things as well. So I don't, I don't want to make out like the, uh, you know, like, like capitalism evil or something like that. No, the, but there's, the, there are people, un unfortunately, in our legislature right now, who, uh, again, like back in Teddy Roosevelt's time would, would pave over Yellowstone if they could, because they see that as such a, a, a short sighted answer, Kirk. And, and if we didn't have that kind of balance, um, we wouldn't have these beautiful places. Yeah. I mean, I, there's not a ton of time left, but it just seems to me we've, it's we've lost like how could how could you live up there how i live up there how could you live up there and want to give away these places want to sell these places it's like i don't get it and i know why it's happening it's because there's an entire party and i'm getting political but there's an entire party that is bought and sold which, by special interests and don't care about their environment anymore which and, wasn't always like that again Teddy Roosevelt, Republican, uh, and you've had plenty of Republicans in Wisconsin who've wanted to make sure we preserve our land as well. With that, it's time to go. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, George Meyer and Charles Carlin. Thank you for joining us. Come on back up north next week. One, two, three, four.